Welcome to episode 117 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we're proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Welcome to the Reform Brotherhood Pubcast. This is the Pubcast. Actually, can we get like a little cheer so people know this is like legit? There we go. So Jesse and I are uh, frequenting one of our favorite sort of local haunts in and around Jesse's home, hometown. So we are being graciously hosted by a little pub called Salt Hill Pub in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Uh, the owner was kind enough to set up a little table in the corner. So if you're ever in the area, make sure that you stop in, grab a pint and some of their awesome nachos, uh, and tell them that the Reform Brotherhood sent you. This is as quaint as it gets. People will not believe that this is legitimately quaint. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I used to come here with the OPC. The first people that I met in the area OPC. from the OPC church were people that I met here to have drinks with with their really? pastor. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool town. It's a really good little establishment. Whatever you want to say about the OPC, you can at least say they get down a little pub action. It's true. I don't think I've ever met anyone in the OPC who... Not um, in a pub? Who's, yeah, it's always a pub. No, <laughs> who doesn't enjoy the fruit of the vine uh, or the fruit of the You're stock. You're going to say fruit of the spirit. The stock. Well, we enjoy the fruit of the spirit, too. I'm talking about alcohol. Yes. Uh, so, like, healthy, moderate yes. consumption of alcohol. Appropriate, yes. Yeah. So, and this is also, we should say, the last day of 2018. It is. It's New Year's Eve, um, which, it, does that, is that kind of a uh, man-made holy day, or? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think it does. No. No, there's nothing holy about it. It's an unholy day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that kind of plays into what we're going to talk about. It does. In a sense. It does. So, we thought it would be a good way to sort of wrap out the year, um, to talk about, we were going to talk about the last two chapters of Revelation, but we found a topic that we just want to drill into that we really think sort of sums up the Johannine teaching on uh, the culmination of all things and really centers the entire Gospel of John and the entire book of Revelation around Jesus Christ in a way that I discovered this year during my um, Bible reading that I hadn't before. Right on. So um, we also realized that like 90% of the Christian Reformed world is reading the same four possible Bible plans. So nearly all of our audience just recently read Revelation, so it's a timely topic too. Right. And if not, you should go do that right now real quick. Yeah, so we're going to pick up in uh, Revelation 21, and we're going to read... I'm going to read the first seven chapters. We're really going to drill in on the first part. First seven chapters? First seven (laughs) verses. Two more, please. Um, So starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are true and trustworthy. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly 
the faithless, and the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is um, kind of the beginning of the end of the book of uh, Revelation. So there's 20 chapters prior that sort of describes the situation on earth prior to Christ's second coming. Um, you know, there's there's different ideas about how the book of Revelation holds together. Right. Is it a series of parallel visions? Is it all chronological? Um, we don't really need to get into that. But once we hit chapter 21, no matter what perspective you take on that, it all sort of comes together right. to form sort of this final vision of the finality of things. So the, the last judgment when Christ returns, and then the state on earth in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Right on. And it's clear that, like you said, no matter what path you kind of take, when you arrive here, the centerpiece of this is this proclamation coming from the throne, the fulfillment of the promise that God will dwell with us. Right. Which is, of course, the best promise. But it's the one, what I find interesting is basically everything that you just read, both before and after that verse, is centered on the fact that God is dwelling with us now. Right. That's what makes everything possible. So we, we like to speak about how there'll be no more tears in our eyes. There'll be Everything will be made right. But that's because what's being made right first is the fact that God is coming to dwell with his people in the way that he promised all the way back in John right. 1. Right. So I'm going to pull up um, John 1 here, and I want to read it in the Greek because I want you to hear something. I'm going to try to read it in the Greek at least. Um because I want you to hear something that's parallel that you might not pick up on if you're reading it in English. So it says, Kai halaga sarke agenita kai eskeneo sen. Eskeneo sen. Hen humain kai. The rest of it's not important to the point I'm making. So when you go back over to Revelation, um, and in English, that's the word became flesh and dwelt among them. And the, right. the word for dwelt, I'm sure most people know, is the same word as the tabernacle. Uh, it's the, the word to like tabernacle with his people. And so John is calling your attention to the fact that in the Old Testament, God dwelt among his people of Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then eventually in the temple in Jerusalem. Then when we come back over to Revelation, and we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, Kaekusa uh, phones megales acton throno leguses, which is, I heard the voice, a great voice from the throne saying, Idu heskene to theo metaton anthropon. So it's behold the the skene, the tabernacle, the dwelling of God is with men. And so that that concept of tabernacle, Revelation is now pointing us back to John one, which pointed us back to the wilderness and to the temple right, right. to say that God's presence dwells among His people. That's the promise that God makes ultimately to Abraham is that I will be a God to you and your children and you will be my people. And so we see in John 1 that Christ tabernacles with his people in the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And what this does is if you take John, and this is why authorship sometimes is important. If you take the gospel of John and the book of Revelation, you viewed them as two parts to one work, which it's, it wasn't written that way, but in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it sort of forms, it forms this two part work. Right. The same way or similar way that Luke and Acts does. It, it creates this, this tapestry where the entire work from John 1.14 to Revelation 21.3 and 4, that whole section is really about how God fulfills his promise to Abraham to dwell among his people, right. which was typified in the tabernacle and the temple. 
which we learned about in Hebrews, and then brought to completion and fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and will consummate in the return right. of the heavenly tabernacle, who is Jesus in the end time. So it's right. it's really critical and is beautiful to think about it that way. And maybe I just haven't done my reading, but I had never thought about it that way, and it just hit me all of a sudden. And then of course, pastor's preaching on Sunday, and he makes that point. I'm like, oh, well, of course, of course. So yeah, of course. So we, we're gonna drill into that a little bit and just talk about what that means for us as Christians and what that means for us as we progress into the next year. Right. Well, I think your language is really good and you've been specific as always because there's this idea, I think, where we need to differentiate between the fact that there's all these typifications, like it's almost an increasing measure, right? but it hasn't been consummated in Jesus Christ. It's been fulfilled, so to speak, in Jesus Christ. Right. So we're still waiting for the actual dwelling of God to be with us in a way that's completely manifest. Right. And that's why, I mean, I think that's why it's important. You know, we, we when we first talked about going through, like, the last three chapters of Revelation, you know, we were going to get into issues of, like, amil, post-mill, the right. rapture, all that stuff. But that's why it's important that verse 21 starts with the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, right? It's, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and then what's the language it uses about what the New Jerusalem is? A bride adorned for her right. husband. So sometimes people look at the book of Revelation and they're like, oh, it's so complicated. How do I understand it? Well, yes, it is, but it's also incredibly self-interpreting, yes. especially if you look at it in light of the rest of the Bible. Yes. The New Jerusalem here is the church. So what we have is this picture of the saints that are in heaven. Right? If you're a dispensationalist, it's all of the saints have been raptured. But if you're someone who's following the Bible faithfully, <laughs> if, if you're not a dispensationalist, right. you, have the, you have the visible church and right. the invisible church being reunited together mm-hmm. and, and made, made synonymous, which it's not now, as the saints who are in heaven return with Christ right. as a bride adorned for his people. And the, mili- the church militant on earth and the church triumphant in heaven becomes one. And that's where we get the fulfillment of the promise that Christ will dwell with his people or that God will dwell with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. And it, it really just brings everything together about how the finality and the end of all things still centers around union with Jesus Christ. Yes. I mean, it's, it's yes. amazing to me. We start to think about end times as like this paradise and like I'm going to get these, these fruits that heal the nation and the river of life and all this. We have right. all this Tree. language that's trying to explain the benefits we have in union with Christ. And we, we look at that and we lose sight of the fact that it's still union with Christ. That's the right. benefit. Well, yes, I think that's the problem, right? Is we right. think of heaven as a locale. So that if I can arrive there and stay on the doorstep, then I get all the benefits because of where I'm physically located. Right. What we're saying here is, no, no, no. All those things happen because God dwells with us now. It's his presence, his indwelling in a different sense right. that brings about the healing of the nations, that brings about, gives us peace and equity with God. And then in addition to that, brings about like the healing where there are no more tears yeah but it's i love that like i don't know this is kind of fascinating in the sense of the passage comes to us by way of this proclamation about god that right. from the throne hears this voice saying this thing so to your point about how revelation can seem certainly complicated it is but in another sense we need to understand that it was given to us so that we might have the hope right of glory through yeah. jesus christ so it'd be like very simple for us to understand like this promise was meant to be understood right and here we kind of have this wonderful encapsulation of everything like you said that's taken place in christ across the entire like scope of the scriptures yeah yeah and and you know what's really cool about this um other than you know it's the inspired word of god and everything is cool about it but what's really cool about this is it, it really does serve to reorient our focus so right. you know we've talked about how like we lose sight of Christ as 
the origin of our benefits and the, the benefit himself. Self, right? yep. Union with Christ is the prime the prime benefit of right. the Christian nothing life. Nothing better than that. And all other benefits flow from it. Mm-hmm. But we sometimes, and depending on your tradition, we sometimes have this idea that like the benefits of Christ are somehow somewhere off in the future. Right. Right. I get justification now, but but the the importance of my justification really only has to do with the fact that I won't go to hell. It's like now. union light. Right. It's like union light. It's like it's like it's like we look at our current union with Christ as the engagement, yeah. and then we look at the future. And there's a certain element of truth to that, right? We don't have the fullness of union right. with Christ now. We don't see Him bodily. All those things, but. As Paul says, like we're already seated yeah. in heaven. So this is a picture of yes. not just what we will have, but in a very real sense, what we already have and can expect to experience in the full in the future sometime. And this, what's beautiful about this, right? The, the, there's, I don't remember who said it, but somebody once said that I was reading that it, for the most part, all Christians agree on the beginning of things, right? right. If you're a Christian, then you don't deny original sin. Right. If you do deny originalism, that's Pelagianism. You're not a Christian anymore. Right. Um, that you know, liberalism, certain elements from Catholicism. That's all. Uh, that's all Pelagian, and it's outside of the Christian faith. So if you're Christian, you begin in the same place with mm-hmm. the, with creation and the fall. You might disagree on the details, but you begin in the same place. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, you all agree again that at the end of things, you're all on the same page again. That that all things will be made right. new. Evil will be put to an end. Sin will be reversed. The curse will be undone. And that's the beauty of it, is that we, we can look at this portion of the Bible and we can find the unity we have with all of our Christian brothers and sisters, even if we disagree on some of the specifics. Because even, you know, I make fun of the dispensationalists, but even the dispensationalists at this point, we're on the same, on page, same page again, right? Yeah. Even, if, even if we, you know, verse 1 with the, the church coming down, even if we disagree about that, once we get to verse 3, yeah, we we're all back. back on the same page and, and we can be all in the same place again. Right. And even that all things being made new, is itself a consummation of the promise. Because when we go back to Paul writing in First Philippians about basically that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Here we have that, that is, this is the full completion right. here. But you're also realizing it in the here and now. Yeah. That God is making things new. And what he brings about in Revelation 21 is basically just the final capstone, I guess we can say yeah. that. But it doesn't mean that God isn't making things new. More than right. just like, and not just in the sense of like, well, now you're a Christian so you've been given the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's of course true. But this kind of marginal, on the margins, continue to making things new as he brings to light new sin in our lives, as he woos us in a sense and wins us to his power and his glory in our lives, yeah. that that is newness of life. I mean, yeah. even just getting up every morning and being able to say, by God's power, you know, I want to increasingly grow in grace and mercy. That is like a newness every yeah. day, all the time. And it can yeah. be just a small newness of breaking bad habits to the power of Christ. Yeah. Or coming to a realization of the things that you ought to do and things that you ought not to do. I, I think even in some sense, a common grace of having the seasons and that calendar turn over is God showing that he wants yeah. to make all things new, that we desire yeah. to be made different and change. And so we hate it when we make resolutions that we break because we're breaking them because we don't have the self-discipline and the power right. that we desperately need in Christ to actually be different people. Yeah. Yeah. And on one level, you know, this might get a little like esoteric, but let's do that on one level, like the new year is a like completely made up concept. That's not really rooted in, right. in, in anything concrete. Right? right. Exactly. Like we, we measure time based on our revolution around the sun or our orbit around the sun. Um, we measure days based on the rotation of the earth. But at the end of the day, like, the Earth is never in the exact same place twice. Did you just use at the end of the day to reference I it? didn't mean to, but I did. <laughs> um, 
but when when you break it down, like we're at a different point in the galaxy. Right. It's so, arbitrary. so all of this time is based on like a measurement that's already in itself relative. Like we're yes. we're basing our year on our position around the sun, which is already positioning around the galaxy, which is positioning theoretically around the center of the universe. Like, so I say all that to say that the new year is made up, but our every culture on Earth still orients its time around some sort of cyclical calendar. Right. And that, as you say, is a, it's an element of common grace that God has oriented us to think about the newness of life. Yes. You know, and like that ties into the calendar. And right. that ties into exactly. to the seasons and the fact that we think about death in the winter and we, we think about new life in the spring. All of that is oriented to point us to the fact that God is making all things new, right? The, the, I think you can go too far making a grammatical argument sometimes, mm-hmm. but the text here doesn't say, oh, behold, I made all things new. Right. Or, Exactly. I, I will make all things new. Right. I'm making all things new. So this promise that we have, which came to us 2,000 years ago in a vision of some guy on Patmos, right? right? It's still a process that God is going through that will culminate in this final restoration and renewal of all things. He's not going to blow up everything and start over because he promised he wouldn't, right? The promise to know is that he's not going to scrap everything and start over. Um but at the same time, what was old and corrupt will be done away with, and only right. what has been reshaped and refashioned to be new will remain. And that's the best of all things, because I think what we desire is not necessarily to be scrapped. It's no fun to start over, but to be able to see the process by which you've changed, something that was there is being made different. Yeah. And while we're going to be glorified, of course, I think there's a sense in which that kind of present tense of that verb indicates that for all of eternity, God will be continuing to make things new yeah. and lovely and joyful in ways that we're going to be able to appreciate the change. It's a part of the change right. that makes us appreciate both where we were and where we were going. So yeah. I think, at, especially at the end of the year, who wouldn't want to have all things made new? It's almost yeah. not as satisfying to just start over. Yeah. Because that implies that what happened in the past wasn't, you know, relevant or right. helpful or useful. But to have your current life in some way transformed dramatically is exactly what we want. And somehow we yeah. have that innate, not somehow, we know, of course, that comes from, you know, the creation itself. But this idea that it's so deeply embedded that we actually celebrate, like you said, almost in every culture, a turning over. And it's not just a turning over of that, isn't it nice that, that this happened and now we can look ahead. It's always coupled with a desire to change, to be different, to be improved and yeah. better than you were before. Yeah. Where the heck does that come from except for a means of common grace? That we're drawn to that kind of concept. We're drawn to this newness of life. And the only place we can find it actually is in the scriptures. If you look to any kind of other religious system, it's going to be this, you're going to be disappointed because it collapses under the weight of having to perform in such a way to improve yourself. Yeah. And and when you look at other, particularly like polytheistic, pantheistic systems, there is no end to the cycle, right? No, we forever. We we look at life and we recognize these rhythms in life, um, but we also acknowledge that time is linear. Right. right. So even even that idea of like the never ending calendar that continues to flip over to the next year and start over, we've adopted that in a certain sense. But looking at the fact that we are continually progressing to an end point, which is what's happening in this text, right. is important and, and is unique to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I think sometimes it's helpful for us as Christians to remind ourselves and others that the world is going to end. Mm-hmm. There will be an end. Right. And so part of it is just being realistic about how do we understand what that end is going to be like? But just because we can't fathom it right now, or it seems like everything will continue to go on as it is forever, that is, that's more of a, that's a different religious worldview, actually. Right. Even kind of smuggling that idea in, well, everything will always be as it always was. Or right. I can accept that. We should always get up or think of at this time of year, the fact that there will be an end. And what are we going to do then? Right. 
And that's that's where the second half of this passage goes, right? We, we shift over from the joyfulness of the end of time, the joyfulness of, of God making all things new. Right. And we shift over at the second half of this passage to the terror that is for those who are not in Christ, right? There's those who are in union with Christ and his coming is a welcome, you know, it's it's the coming of a, of a bridegroom to, to claim his bride. Right. Um, and then we flip over and it's those who are enemies of the bride or of the bridegroom and the bride yes. who remain enemies of the bridegroom and the bride and the terror and the destruction that's going to happen to them if they are apart from Christ. So as right. we as we look at this and I think we can sort of pivot now a little bit and talk about like what is what does this teach us, right? We do these Bible reading plans and we go through right. these these plans every year. What is this what does this do for us as we go into the next year? And I think the first takeaway is like there has to be an urgency for evangelism. Because Christ could come again tomorrow and on all the people around us that we know that are not in Christ, well, well what are we gonna say? I mean, all the tears will be wiped away, right? That's part of this. We're not gonna look back eternally and have regrets of the people we didn't share the gospel with. Right. But those people are going to suffer for eternity. Right. And that's a that's a, that's scary a real thought. consequence. Right. So the next age to come, or or I should say the consummation of this age is not going to include a regret for that. But this age, this part of the, the, the last days, this part of it includes an urgency to reach the lost that I, I think I can say personally in my life has been lacking. Yeah. And I think in a lot of our lives has been lacking. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this illustrates to us that the dwelling of God is either the indwelling, this his coming to be among his people again, is either the most joyous thing or is the most horrendous thing. Right. And so, you know, it strikes me that you know, in verse 7, we have the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The sense that, as, as Christians, there's this militant idea built into this text that we're not just kind of skating by, just kind of surviving barely, but we are conquerors through the power given us in Christ. So this, to your point, kind of this empowering of the message. Right. I don't think we're saying that everybody needs to kind of undertake some kind of platform of evangelism that is really staged right. or coaxed. But this idea of that if we are living with the sense that we are looking forward to the indwelling of God, the coming in him, tabernacling like with you and me in this physical sense, that the right. beatific vision of seeing the face of God in Jesus Christ, that that should impact the way that we speak. Yeah. If it really is a promise and we're saying we uphold this as something we're looking forward to, not just like, well, heaven is, is something that's going to be nice and I guess it'll be better than this world. And so I'm kind of excited about that, but I yeah. kind of also like the car I drive and the things yeah. that I get to do. Now, but if we're really looking forward to that promise that means something to us, then it should probably shape the way that we just speak about general things. Like if we're yeah. excited for the weekend, can we not be more excited about this promise? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, one of the things, it would be really hypocritical for us if we were saying everything you do has to be evangelism. Right. We're sitting not, yeah. in a public place recording a podcast right. with Although we're pretty people, loud right now. Well, yeah. But, <laughs> like, people all around our town who are not Christians. Like, yeah, I sure. know people in the community that aren't. Me too. Um, so we're not saying that everything you have to do is evangelism or every opportunity that is in front of you has to be taken. But, you know, I was looking back as you were talking, I was looking back at the first couple verses of this, and it, it strikes me that, you know, right now on earth, we're the tabernacle of God, yeah. right? So the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and Paul says, like, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So right now in this um, in this beginning of the last days, the, the, the first phase of the last days, um, Christ or God's presence on earth is isolated or, or is focused in the lives of Christians. Right. So we have to take that out into the community. Like you can take that too far. You can take the whole idea that like, well, we're Christ's feet, we're Christ's hands. Like you can take that too far. But on a real practical level, 
the way that God is present on earth right now still true. is is in the lives of his people mm-hmm. as they gather and worship, as they go and, and live their lives. And Christ commanded us to do our evangelism and to disciple the nations simply by going and being a part of the nations right. and, and by sharing the light that we have before men. So this all rolls up together. This whole passage comes to a point where it says what was true in the, the former part of the last days, mm-hmm. that God's people will be a light to the nations becomes true in a consummate sense when Christ himself is the light, right? right? In the next the next chapter or the next section of the chapter, it says um, that there is no sun because there is no need to be sun because right. Christ is the light. There's no, there's no temple because God is the temple. So we, we have this transition from what the way things were before the return of Christ to the way things they will be after the return of Christ. But in this present time, mm-hmm. we are the presence of God on earth, and that comes with obligations. Right, it does. And this return is really a representation of everything going back to the way it was intended to be. Right. So by living, I think, in a way where we embrace the opportunity to speak of God, both in what we do and in how we communicate, for me, at least, I think that's a lot of the place where there's been a gap in my life. Yeah. Is not shying away from those opportunities when they right. arise. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that we're often aware of when those opportunities present themselves. But we're either, if you're like me, embarrassed or too busy or just want to move on or yeah. it's a little bit awkward. But what we're saying is basically to undertake those opportunities to engage with others right. in a way that shows that light is to say that you don't have to be the person that's always standing on this on the you know like the the corner of the street trying to preach the gospel yeah. in some kind of obnoxious way per right. se. We're talking about I hate to use this but kind of re- relational dynamic right. of just being a person whom God has not just visited and changed but now empowers and lives in and is just going about the normal business. And we keep saying like the best thing you can do is basically preach Christ and die. In obscurity, right? Because that is the way in which God has built each of us to engage in some kind of particular sphere of influence. Yeah, and we should just embrace that better. At least I need to embrace that better. Kind of going into the new year, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is like you're probably going to hear this from me a lot over the next year because I've begun to grow more and more convicted about the the regularness of Christian life. Yeah, like so, I'm going to reread Michael Horton's Ordinary this year. But one of the things that's that. one of the things that's impressed on me the most is, you know, throughout church history, the way that Christians make more Christians is predominantly through biological reproduction, right? right? And that that's not a statement of judgment on anyone who doesn't have children, whether they just choose not to have children or can't have children, right? It's both, more of a fact, right, actually. Both you and I are are you know men who don't have children, right? Um, so, but that doesn't change the fact that like raising your family in Christ, even right. even if, you know, whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian, like raising your family in such a way that intends to bring your children to Christ, right. that is intentional about presenting the gospel to them. And on a certain level, like this, this might ruffle you up a little bit, but <laughs> on a certain level, assuming and intentionally assuming, uh-huh. consciously assuming that your children will someday become Christians, will confess faith. Sure. Um, I think that's, that's the biblical call for 95% of people in the world. And I think for me, that extends into how do I treat the children in my life that aren't my biological children. Yeah, I totally agree with that. How, that extends to how do I interact with my employees or with my employer? Or how do I interact with um, the people in, in my community that I interact with, right? Am I, am I consciously living my regular life in a way that brings people, right. that, that intentionally and consciously brings people to Christ and assumes success? Yeah. I think so often we sort of take this, 
negative. I'm an optimistic Emil, um, I, but I don't always live like an optimistic Emil. Yeah. Right. I, I often live like, um, well, yeah, God's probably going to do some things. Cautiously optimistic. Cautious, but yeah, but like, I, I I live life like, well, what's the good of telling the lady at the pizza place about the gospel? Because it's probably not going to do anything. Right. Right. So like, if there's like a golden opportunity, I might drop it in there. Or when we have our Christmas Eve service, or when Easter comes around, you know, I might I might drop some Christian language and hope she picks up on it. Right. Right. But like, why am I not? being more active like that what do I have to lose a right. little bit of awkwardness when I get my pizza like maybe maybe it'll be awkward what's the worst that can happen if I if I consciously say to this woman that I've been talking to for probably three years if I say when's your lunch break I have to tell you about Jesus right. like when's your lunch break because we've been dancing around this religion thing since we met and since I've been getting pizza here and now I need to tell you what's really I need to tell you about Revelation 21 verses 5 and 5 right. I need to tell you about what awaits those who are not in Christ. Because right. if I don't, it's going to be real bad for you. Why am I not living my life assuming that that's going to succeed instead of kind of like waiting for God to give me the the golden fleece that says, yeah, this is the place. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. How much pizza do you get? <laughs> Build a substantial I'm suffering. I'm suffering woman. for the Lord. We, we get pizza probably <laughs> once or twice a week, I okay. think. And it's not always pizza. Like, so we we often get lunch, like we get sandwiches if yeah. we just aren't in a hurry. But it's it's actually a conscious thing. So about a year ago, our church decided to pull back on some of our programming things. Some of it was budgetary. We you know we just didn't have the funds to keep doing these like like town events and things. Right. But we decided to pull back on some of our uh, programmatic evangelism to revisit to revisit it and right. to sort of reflect on that. And with a focus on personal evangelism. Right. So people in our church have made conscious decisions to find a book club at the library or a knitting club and not just join those, but join those with the intent of doing a, a right. building relationships. Right, exactly. Yeah. And for me, I didn't I don't have a lot of time outside of work. But you know what I do have? Pizza. I have the guy at Dunkin' Donuts that I, I see every morning when I get my coffee. Yeah, right. And I have the lady at the pizza store that I see once or twice a week when I pick up my order. Yeah. And so I've I've been intentional to try to like make sure like, you know, if I come in all the sabbatarians are going to freak out. If I stop in on Sunday to pick up sandwiches, right? Yeah. Um, I make sure that I tell her that uh, that I hope someday that she can get Sunday off so she can right. can come visit our church. Or when I stop in at Dunkin' Donuts to get my coffee and it's Christmas, I make a point of saying, you know, Merry Christmas and that I hope that God, you know, brings favor and brings blessings to this person's life. And, right. and I use the name of Jesus when I do that. Right. So, like, those are little things that I do that are investing into the community that someday may reap, may reap a benefit, but I need to be more confrontational about the gospel. I think. Yeah, like that's, that's something that I, I have been convicted of. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I mean, the promise, or I guess the charge rather, that we get in Genesis of being fruitful and multiplying on this side of the cross is paired up with this idea of go and make disciples. Right. So how we do that is exactly as you said, like the harvest is plentiful even at the pizza place. And so I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong per se with, I, I like the word that you use confrontational because yeah. what we're basically saying is that we know we are naturally reticent to bring it up. And we know that people are going to be naturally reticent to have that conversation. Right. So I think that oftentimes in my own life too, what I do is approaching evangelism is like going forward with your fingers crossed, hoping that God right. will do something with it without understanding like the power behind it. Yeah. And the power is either going to be there to transform and change or to push away. But the fact of the matter remains that the power is there. Right. And we don't need to worry so much about that outcome. In fact, probably worry more about making it awkward than we do about even a poor outcome. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I mean, maybe the challenge for all of us 
is that we need to, again, take the promises seriously. You need to say, like, not only just consequences, but beyond, like, the consequences themselves. If being united to Christ is the greatest benefit, then we should want that for all yeah. people. To love our enemies is even to want what's best and good for them, and that still is Christ. So if that would be true of the people that we really dislike or even dislike us, how much more so for the people that serve us? either in pizza or the people whom we rub shoulders with in our jobs. Right. I mean, we should want all of this for everybody. But I guess the bottom line is we need to get over ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've learned in my life, too, when I look back at, like, my, my experiences, I actually can't think of anyone that I have shared the gospel with that um, basically said, like, get out of my life. I want nothing to do with like you. Like, tried to punch yeah, you in the like, neck. Yeah, like, I've never faced... I've had some people that, like, when I first became a Christian that I broke relationships with, but I think that was probably more about me being an idiot and tool and, like, <laughs> like bringing offense with right. the gospel that isn't already there. Um, but I don't know anybody that I can think of that I've, I've like, really shared the gospel with who has then said, get out of my life. Yeah. Um, or, or, like, I've never been talked to. I've never faced discipline at work. I've never, I've never had to feel like I was getting arrested or kicked out of an establishment. Right. Um, and, and, like... I don't. I guess I don't know where the fear comes from. Like we, I think sometimes like I, I love James White, bless his heart, do the Southern thing, but like he can be a little bit of a fear monger sometimes, yeah, right? Sure. It's like every third episode of the D- Dividing Line is all about like, well, we're not going to be able to do this show right, very much exactly. longer because the feds are going to come in and shut us down, and it's like that just isn't reality in most places. I mean, I live in New Hampshire, which is the second most liberal, secular co- state in the country. Right. Um, and and I still have never faced any repercussions. I have I have employees that listen to my podcast who are not Christians. I've never had anyone bring it up. So it, I'm just not sure where the fear comes. And I, I wonder if maybe we need to be more careful to yes, like our religious liberties are being eroded. That's reality. Sure. It's true. But like we're jumping from um, from these sort of unsettled situations with the Supreme Court and like baking cakes. We're jumping from that to they're going to start burning our Bibles and shutting down right, our churches. And maybe that will happen someday, but like not anytime in the super immediate future. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure where that fear comes from, but I think we do need to just get over ourselves. Yeah, I agree with that. So, you know, I think um, just in light of the new year, in light of the fact that we have other stuff we're doing, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, let's do that. So Jesse, do you have any final thoughts on this topic before we call it a day? I just wanted to wish you a happy new year. And I'm excited about all the things that we have planned on the Reform Brotherhood yes. 2019. It's going to be killer. It is going to be killer. We've got some really great stuff planned. We're not ready to unveil most of it. We are going to start book, uh, book cast soon. So we're going to go through Reform Preaching by Joel Beakey. So if you haven't picked that up, um, go ahead and order it. We would love if you would go through the WTS bookstore. Um, we're working on some some promotions, some ways to help make it more uh, fruitful for you to do that. But the WTS bookstore is a great ministry. They do their best to keep prices low. It helps support the seminary. Yes. So even if it costs you a little bit more, please go through their go website and purchase it. Amazon has more than enough money. Yeah, that's and, true. And if you want to get the bang for your buck and also help a ministry that really can use it, then purchase it through the WTS bookstore. Right. And if we work out a deal later on, we'll announce that. Um, but but right now, we just want to support that group. They had a really rough year last year. They had to ask for extra donations, and yeah. they got it, praise God. But um, they, you know, physical books are kind of a lost and dying art. Right. Um, and there's a real loss if we lose physical books. Yeah, there, there's something sure. about paper and about the... The, the way that it feels in your hand, there's something that God has designed with physical books, not in like a platonic sense, like there's nothing wrong with reading ebooks, but right. losing, losing physical books would be a, a detriment. Yeah. 
So go buy those. Bring me the parchments. Yes, bring me the parchments and the scrolls. <laughs> and my jacket. Yes. And my cloak. On that note. <laughs> On that note. Until next time. Until next year. Next year. Uh-huh. Until next year, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Uh-huh.